Hi, I'm Adam Beaumont, founder and director of With Purpose Consulting, come to you from Melbourne. I'm a strategist, facilitator and regulatory consultant who works with executives, leadership teams and boards to be more effective, more successful and achieve better outcomes for them and their organisations. I want to welcome you to my podcast where we have insightful discussions with prominent experts in the area of strategy, leadership, operation and tactical planning and regulation. Today we're talking about leadership. We're talking about happiness and well-being. And what does that look like in a time of COVID? To help me with this conversation, I'm joined by Dave Hall. Dave's a professional physio and health professional. He's also a group facilitator and a silent disco host. You might have seen silent discos in the city or around your neighborhood where people dance around with headsets on while everyone else looks on with somewhat mild curiosity. Hi, Dave. G'day, Adam. How are you going? <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing? <laughs> good. <laughs> Dave, I, uh, I think you're an interesting guy to chat to because you've had quite a different career, I would put it. Yeah, so I uh, qualified as a physio 25 years ago, 1995, so um, I'm now late 40s. So that's been a, a sort of a long-term career and that evolved over the time to focusing on OC Health Physio and, and corporate wellbeing. And in that process, I found I really enjoyed um, working with um, groups of people. So I really enjoyed the sort of dynamics and the, the opportunities you have when you get groups of people together to work through things together and have fun together. So I evolved um, into a group facilitator sort of in the late noughties and did a formal qualification in that 2009. So so then I, I've effectively been a group facilitator and physio, so I've really juggled those two. So the sweet spot for that's been, um, you know, corporate health and wellbeing and helping build uh, a speak-up culture in teams and getting teams of people working well together and focusing on wellbeing. So that's, that's again, a bit of a background. And then in the last six-odd years, then a, a new sort of, I guess, group facilitation is very varied and it has all sorts of interesting um, opportunities within it. Um, and one opportunity that sparked up a bit out of nowhere was running silent discos. So one of my colleagues that I did the training with started that and very much born out of that philosophy, we started running um, silent discos on the street, bringing play, love and laughter to um, people in public events, festivals, parties. Um, so you've got this whole nexus between sort of physical well-being and mental well-being or group group cohesion. Mm. Um, mm. So I know we spoke the other day about this concept of happiness culture, um, which I found rather intriguing. What What is happiness culture? Yeah, well, I think in the void that's been left with uh, less people focused on, for example, religious beliefs and, you know, this concept of I'll just put my head down and work hard um, for a, a greater reward in the afterlife or, or whatever the beliefs might have been. Um, I guess into that void, this this concept of happiness culture, and um, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of people more expert in this concept than myself, but I've always found it found it an interesting one, like you know, defining what is going to make us happy, and then and then striving, if you like, to try and make us happy. And in a funny sort of a way, it's become a almost a doctrine in itself. I think where we are striving for happiness and trying to maximise our time yeah, to do the yeah, the for most sure. interesting thing. And what did you do on the weekend? Well, it's interesting too because I like. I was looking at, you know, what is happiness? And if you type, you know, a lot of people type into Google, what is happiness? Like a thousand people <laughs> a month. 
And and interestingly, more people are actually searching on what is happiness mm. now mm. than they have, which makes sense, I guess, in in mm. the last mm. six months. What what do you in your mind, what is happiness? Yeah, well, I think it's it's interesting. People, are, it's very subjective, isn't it? And people are finding themselves looking to justify whatever choices they make during their spare times. Like, well, that to me is happiness, you know. And that's and that's that's all fine. I don't think we need to justify that because I think actually happiness is extremely subjective. I mean, for for for, for me personally, I, I I really enjoy connecting with people. I enjoy having a laugh, being silly, letting myself free. Um, so I love, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad now. I've got kids six and ten. I love being able to play games that kids play that are free and silly and crazy and laughing, laughing with them. Um, I really love history and 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 intriguing stories from our past. So you know, I guess I just chase things that I find interesting and intriguing, um, and love connecting with with people. But that that'll be totally different to someone else. Well, someone yeah, else. that's right. And it's interesting because you know this note, this notion of you know, happiness as a culture, well, you kind of want that, yeah? Like you want people to be happy. You want people to be doing stuff that they actually enjoy. And particularly now more than ever in, you know, the context of a, of a pandemic, you kind of want people to be seeking out things that make them happy. Like do you reflect on happiness culture as a, as a clearly it's a good thing, yeah, I would have thought? Yeah, I think overall definitely, Um I like everything, just as long as we sort of use it appropriately. Like, I mean, the, the the very live thing with that at the moment is social media, isn't it? I think if we have a positive and a sort of a healthy relationship with that, then that can feed nicely into how helping us be happier in the world, um, connecting with people that we that live far away and we can't see, and you know, at the moment, connecting with people that uh, are even close by that we can't see. So, um, but yeah. you know, we, we take that too far and we start getting addicted to it, or we start sort of buying into the, um, you know, very sort of much the dichotomy arguments of, of wrong and right and left and right and whatnot that, that uh, you know, is happening on social media. So I think all things in, in elements of happiness have a, have a healthy level of attention, if I can put it that way. Well, yeah, and I guess this concept of belonging, like, I don't know, when I see people on social media and I see that they they want reinforcement or they want their other people to look at their views and acknowledge them. For me, that's sort of a, this broader want for belonging to be part of a group, to be validated or um, loved or, or, or valued. You know, it, this, so for me, this concept of happiness culture is, is I don't know, it, I like the idea of people wanting to feel happy. Like if you, talk, if you spoke to a pessimist, they'd say, oh, look, you know, the world's not happy all the time. There's some pretty bad shit going on. Um, you know, you can't just sort of wash over these concepts when there's bad stuff happening. Like I, I wonder whether this happiness culture also creates a level of naivety or makes people um, mm. not take on board what's actually happening and perhaps miscalculate what the risks really are because they want, well, you know, I just want to be happy. I don't have to worry about this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a possibility of all of that. Again, I think it comes down to, and it's probably a good segue onto the second element that that would be interesting to talk about today, which is around acceptance. So, and at the moment with the coronavirus world that we're in, and you know, here in Melbourne in particular, we're in lockdown number two, and you know, that feels pretty hard for a lot of people, particularly because other areas of Australia are not in the same um, lockdown status that we are, you know, with with now with compulsory masks and and all the other restrictions. So we're seeing it play out in an interesting way where, again, we've got this sort of society and individuals very focused on happiness and yet 
rules being imposed externally, which they may perceive, and you know, there'd be reasonable justification for feeling like that impacts on their happiness, because the things that they sort of perceive as 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 what's going to help make make me happier will will include socialization and going out and yeah, eating, com- eating at restaurants and cafes completely and- yeah and if you're one of these people that happiness for you is you know um going paragliding or yeah. going canoeing yep. or mm. going on a group hike then clearly you'd see the current mm. lockdown measures as you know restraining mm. you or not making you happy but th- for me this comes down to this concept of what's good for the population versus what's good for the individual. So it may not be good for some individuals, mm. um, but as a population, you know, mm. We, mm. we're better off on account of these restrictions. So what when you think about acceptance then, mm. how are you framing that in your head in the context of the, the, the current pandemic? Yeah, so, I mean, what you were saying there is, is is interesting with what we started with talking about where, you know, in, in, in a previous time or in a different structured society, we would just do what, we needed to do you know we think of during wartime or think of you know maybe if, to, to generalize you know what we've seen with, with other cultures um in china and japan where there's that sort of willingness to to do the right thing by society if you like and you know with the sort of western um liberties that we've got used to we we think more in an individual way so the happiness culture is very much well, what's good for me you know what can i do mm. um to make my life better now and um and, and that that really sort of awkwardly um comes head to head with with all this lockdown stuff so so then there's very different levels of acceptance of that and and i get that it's something i'm working on personally and i see people around me in various different levels of acceptance so some are very accepting and, and going, oh, well, here we are, the greater good. And um, do you know what? I get to hang out and play board games and read more books and and we're all good. Let's just see this out. Um, right through to a great deal of a lack of acceptance of that. So there's a full spectrum with that. And then I think with, with people who are very unaccepting of that, we slip potentially into blame. And then so whose fault is this? I have a right to be happy. I have a right to choose mm. my, you know, my way of life. And yeah. I don't, don't want to wear a mask and I don't want to be told I can't have a drink with my neighbour and blah, blah, blah. And so, so are you saying that the pivot from acceptance to blame in this or at least the way you're thinking about it, you know, if people don't accept the restriction or the merit of it, then they're pretty much going to allocate their disdain at someone or something, the government, some amorphous thing? Or do you see it as that blame is far more personal? Will they start taking it out on their their family or their housemates or politicians? Like how do you think about blame in this context? Yeah, definitely all of the above. I think, again, if we look at social media and, and conversations happening in the public domain, there is a great deal of uh, finger pointing. This has got to be someone's fault. You know, my my rights as an individual are being obstructed here. I don't like it. Um, so, you know, I blame Daniel Andrews or I blame, you know, the Chinese government have cooked this up in a lab or I, you, know, you get all these sort of crazy <laughs> conspiracy theories. Yeah, 5G, Bill Gates, I think, has been pointed out a lot. It's it's just, um, yeah, it's just that natural sort of, well, I, I it, that, that, that those three sort of um, phases again. So my happiness has been interrupted, phase one. B acceptance. I don't accept that. I'm not. I'm not in an emotional position to accept that. So who's to blame? 
you know, and we saw it with the fires too, um, you know, where we had um, a lot of people, you know, really angry at the government um, for their lack of, uh, you know, what, what, what many of us would have seen would be a reasonable response to this situation. And then on the other side of the coin, you had a huge amount of angry feeling um, against the Greenies because apparently it was their fault for not allowing uh, clearing. So, you know, again, you rather than just sort of being, oh, well, here we are and now what do we do about it, we saw that there as well. So, well, it's yeah. Interesting because that, you know, this goes to this concept of, competition around knowledge as well you know i my knowledge my information my facts are better than your information better than your knowledge better than your facts like how much how much do you see blame is actually you know particularly in the current pandemic mm. the, is related to a lack of understanding because they didn't accept the information or the premise by which um, we got to this situation or do you think it's it's less about that it's it's just about the fact that well i can't do something i want and to channel that energy, I'm going to direct it at something or someone. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting avenue for another whole podcast on that one, I think, Adam. Because <laughs> um, there's a very interesting interaction there, I think, between um, about knowledge and truth and science. And there's a whole intriguing shift going on around that, which I think is specifically around the climate change stuff. And we've seen it or we saw it with the um, same-sex marriage um, vote in this country. And we see it now again coming out with coronavirus where you're sort of talking about who controls the knowledge or the apparent knowledge and who's sponsoring which knowledge. You know, that that's a really mm-hmm. interesting topic in of itself. So I might just name that if I can as an interesting, an interesting discussion. But I think, um, I think coming... And, and just to summarise on that, I think the trouble with that is that there's this concept now that the truth can be sponsored and that should never have happened. That's not how it's meant to work. You're meant to have experts that dedicate years and years to study and then they inform the public about what's happening. Well, yeah, and no, then- but, but I guess we always have this thing where, you know, people form views or beliefs and they, they translate into ideologies or philosophies about how something should or shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, in, this, in the context of this, happiness culture Mm. would you see that you know we've got a philosophy here that's um it doesn't allow for acceptance and that's why we drift to blame like is it like yeah i think it's i think it's fairly unconscious i don't think a lot of people are aware they're so driven by that sort of concept of, of happiness as a culture and as a as a drive for life um, so then they can they can respond unconsciously. So then that sort of lack of acceptance can be relatively unconscious. They don't kind of realise that's what they're doing. They're just a bit annoyed. And then that blame, again, it's sort of, you know, they got that bubbling up feeling and then they go, someone's got to pay for this and whose fault is this? Someone's got to be in the wrong here, you know, and it just bubbles up and they get all frustrated and then <laughs> out it comes on social media. Or, again, coming to your point, you know, people respond differently. Others will... Um, project that into their personal relationships and that's that's a real difficult scenario when that's happening and I'm, I'm worried I, I don't know much about the stats on this at the moment but I'd be worried about how much of that's happening at the moment so this is Adam Beaumont and you've been listening to Conversations with Purpose my guest today is Dave Hall and we're talking about happiness well-being and a happiness culture in a time of COVID Yeah, look, I guess that's that's what I'm saying. It's it's interesting. Um, I think I'd like people to be probably a bit more conscious and aware of of those 
three factors. So, you know, that we are driven by this happiness culture. It's very much an individually focused culture. And that, therefore, can dovetail into, um, you know, different, very different levels of acceptance when things that we perceive as making us happy, rightly or wrongly, are interrupted. And then thirdly, you know, then are we potentially, if, if, if we're not very accepting, we're going to move into blame. And unfortunately, I think we're seeing seeing that take hold. And um, yeah, it might be interesting to kind of tell you a little bit about some of my adaptations and some of the journey for me on that uh, with the yeah, lockdown. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. yeah, look, I have, I'm quite an emotionally driven sort of person. I I feel things strongly. I'm quite sensitive. And, 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 and I'll be the first to admit that in late March when the lockdown first um, happened here in, in Victoria and nationally. I was very upset and 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 felt felt all three of those. I don't think I progressed too strongly onto blame, but I definitely felt very impinged upon, and I felt um, you know I, I wavered in my le- level of acceptance. But I worked on that. Um, but I, I guess another factor for me is I, I immediately realised that I had a huge financial challenge ahead mm. of me because. But that that acceptance though, like we. You know what? What were the what were the things that you went? Yeah, I can't live with that, or I, I have real problems accepting that or internalizing that. Like, what, what's an example of something you struggled with in that acceptance realm? Mm. Well, I think starting with probably what was very reasonable was that I've I've had a really good income as a self-employed person now for about a decade, and, and I do know the ups and downs of being self-employed. I've been self-employed now for 17 years as a consultant, and, and you know, we, we mentioned that what I do. Um, but I hadn't, um, I hadn't known. I, I've been able to sort of generate enough income really for quite a long time. So I think the first part of of, of fear and 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 challenge with acceptance was just suddenly watching all my bookings for 2020 mm-hmm. literally vanish before yeah. my eyes. So I'll take that as something that it was quite reasonable to have a very emotional response to. So then my so then I'm moving along that channel to um, before I get to that. So there was that part of it. I guess the other part of it for me, and this relates to happiness, was the sense of pride. And so that was interesting. Like I hadn't had that sense of pride, you know, uh, chipped away at or challenged for a while, like oh, now you don't, you just don't have any bookings. Now you're you're not a, you know, people aren't don't want mm. you. <laughs> yeah, 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 and 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 of course I could justify that with well, there's external factors that have happened here, but there was definitely a process. Well, so, particularly self-employed, yeah, because you are, you know, the work you do is a reflection on whether people liked what you did last time or heard about you or thought you can provide something for them. So it's hard not to make it personal in this scenario. Like how well, how, yeah. how much did you? How much of that re- reflection was? Oh, gee, you know this is my fault, which is clearly it's not. Like there's a lot of people. No, no, that's right. And yet it's an old programming. And and that was really fascinating for me for that old programming to come come back. So, you know, if we go back into the naughty, so I was self-employed from 2003 onwards and those first few jobs, you know, I'd be so nervous. I would hardly sleep the night before because I was well aware that if I did that well, they would tell their colleagues and friends and I'd get more work and then I'd be able to pull off this self-employed thing. So I really wavered, really, in the noughties, up and down the roller coaster of you know going well for a while. Then I'd lose my confidence, and a big client would disappear, and blah blah blah. So I I, I probably fooled myself that I was um, more resilient um, 
you know, as as an individual to to those anxieties as I got older. But really, I think once that once that work disappeared, I realised, oh, actually, I'm actually quite human. And um, no, those anxieties are just there under the surface. I just have had a good run. <laughs> you know? yeah. So there was the old pattern came back, and I was I was nervous again and lost that confidence. But then I think, t- to my credit, I think relatively quickly I I realised, well, uh, actually, you know what, like a lot of everyone's in this situation like people are not cancelling because they don't want you to come and do it they would love you to but they just literally can't do it you know so there was yeah. a but yeah definitely that old pattern was there adam it was interesting um and then that sort of gave way to a more sort of objective viewpoint eventually but in the in the interim and this is probably something i've learned to do well as i get older i needed a process with that and for me music and 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 sharing a lot with friends and being upset and i was in tears with my family and friends and said oh god what's happened you know and listening a lot to 80s power ballads which <laughs> i find incredibly um therapeutic on, on many levels and you know going out to the bungalow which is free at the moment in the out now backyard which has been fantastic and you know throwing pillows around and singing and sort of just you know uh, it's, it's very it's interesting actually because I, I like i reflect on some of the clients that i do work with who are you know you know when you work for yourself you know you might employ subcontractors every now and then but by and large you've got to manage your own energy and put it mm. into the jobs and give it to the next client um you know, I reflect on some of the leaders I work with where people are watching them. They're watching them on Zoom. They're watching how they look. Mm. They're watching how they act, how they behave. Mm. Um, and yet they're probably going through those same suite of emotions. Geez, we've, we've lost a lot of work. We, we might have to start winding back. Like I wonder how much people really do reflect on their circumstance and how it's been impacted by the current situation and think really, you know, deliberately around how am I responding to this? How does it make me feel? And what other people are dependent on how I respond to this for mm. how they feel mm. and how they accept? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, people in leadership positions have a challenge around their own emotions. And, you know, I have a personal philosophy on this, which um, not everyone would see it this way, but my personal philosophy is I think it's okay to be vulnerable and to to admit that you're not sure what to do or, you know, that you're actually a bit upset about it. Or I I personally think that actually leaders that say that, that's fine. I think that that that, that just gets everyone on the same page quite quickly and and normalises the situation and just calls it out, you know, what we'd call the elephant in the room in facilitator talk. so I think that's it. I, I encourage, you know, leaders and managers to to be willing to do that. I think that's, um, you know, again, there, there will be people with different views on that, but I think that's important. Mm. Uh, but but then, of, of course, then it's like, well, so then what are we going to do about it, you know? Well, um, yeah, and, I, and, you know, like, you know, as we come to the end of this conversation, like reflecting on this notion of happiness culture, this mm, want for people mm, to be happy, mm. um, and to accept when the circumstances don't provide for that, mm. um, and in the you, case, you know, and you've got to be you've got to be willing to name that and, and have a little process, and it doesn't have to be long, and it doesn't, and I think that you know, there's a there's a feeling of uh, oh well, you know, we just got to get on with it, but I think you'd need do need to stop, have that pause point, and go, now this is pretty hard, and let's just sit and acknowledge that, um, and then we'll 
okay, now how, how do we how do we move through this together? I mean, and so in in, in my example, being self-employed, I I had a, a pretty big process, and and you know one aspect of it was um, realizing that now more than ever I needed to. Uh, move out of um, partnerships and, and business arrangements that were not uh, helpful for me and were not healthy for me, which, you know, in a previous situation I was able to tick along with and uh, that's not really super helpful. But you know what, it's, it is it is what it is and there's enough going on. So it was, it was being brave enough to, um, you know, I guess call, call some of those situations uh, out. And how much of that was – how much did those situations – come into focus because of what's going on because the work had slowed down because you had time to stop and think and reflect like what drove that because you mentioned that you had that previously it was always mm. there or mm. some feeling what was mm. the tipping point that made you go oh gee um, i need to do something about this uh yeah so it, it was a real now or never scenario on you know uh, in particular a business partnership that um for a company i was um you know, a director of and realised that's not the journey I wanted to be on anymore. And and also to a lesser degree in, in another um, sort of informal partnership, I knew things needed to change because the work had dried up. And so there was never going to be a better opportunity to um, reshuffle the board, if that makes sense, when the work is sort of gone. So you don't then have to, at the awkward logistics of, well, now who's going to do what? Because <laughs> we're just staring at an empty diary for both of those pieces of work. Um, but but also, and this might seem a bit weird, but I was already in a really kind of an upset, awkward state anyway. And I thought, I'm just going to cash in on this. <laughs> I'm like, I'm already, you know, pretty sort of down. Um, because really, to be honest, what prevented me from doing those things that I had needed to do for a while was just, oh, it's just going to make today really, yeah. really <laughs> awkward. How, how much do you think that this this concept of this happiness culture, this expectation that you're happy all the time, makes people suppress you know, natural gut feeling, gut reaction, instinct going, we know this is not right, you know, having this own internal conversation, we know this is not right, we know this partnership is not working, mm. um, but now that there's a bit more silence in the background mm. and a bit more time to reflect, like for you, was it that? Was it, was it the time to stop and go, hang about, we really need to do something about this? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that, again, there was a sense of... Um, it's awkward anyway. Well, let's let's just you know, there's never going to be a better opportunity, um, kind of emotionally and practically, to just uh, reset everything. And I, I know a lot of people took that opportunity, which was great. There was also just that, and this is where you know, um, I, I think sometimes a sort of a, a competitive market on these things. I think. I personally believe really leads to good stuff because it was also just like, well, I've got to pull some rabbits out of the hat here, you know. I, okay, it was great to hear that JobKeeper was coming on board and there was a level of um, subsidy and, you know, safety net and that was great. But I need more than that. I've got two kids. I've got a mortgage, I, you know. I've got, a, I've, got, I've got some objectives here. I'm not driven by money, but money's part of what I want to do. So there was also just that... Um, Let's just get let's just get on with it. You know, I'm 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 happier. I'm more well. I'm more in the world when I'm uh, earning money and getting getting work and you know doing valuable things for the world around me and and making people laugh and smile and making their world better. All of what I do has that as a focus. Um, so yeah, very much a, a pivot. I mean, I I suddenly out of nowhere had to teach myself. I mean, what what I've been earning money in in the last couple of months, for example. I didn't, A, I didn't know how to do them in March 
and B, some of them didn't exist. So I've gone yeah. self-employed for 17 years and suddenly completely pivoted everything. So, for example, the silent discos face-to-face all went to an online um, yeah. way of running them. But I didn't know how to do that and no one else did. So we, you know, I sort of picked people's brains and thought and trialed and had a pretty much like a three or four week fairly intense process, which in the well, end. Yeah, and, and I think I think this is particularly interesting because I, I I think not only has this been a time for people to really reflect and go, okay, well, you know, what what is important to me? What does make me happy? And acknowledging there's some things that I can't do because of the restrictions. Um, acknowledging that there's some clients or some work we can't do anymore because that those clients aren't there anymore or that work isn't there, you know, how can we adapt and change? Like I, I reflect on this process and wonder how many people will see this two or three time, you know, two or three years down the track as a strategically quite a pivotal point that made people reflect quite deeply on what's important to them and their organisation and their people um, and recast the work, you know. So I, I think this has been a fascinating conversation. Dave, thank you so much for your time. Um, as always, it's a pleasure chatting and uh, let's, uh, let's do it again. Great. Thanks, Adam. For more information on Dave Hall, please visit davehall.net.au. This is Adam Beaumont. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Purpose. Please subscribe and if you like more information, visit my website at quickpurpose.consulting. Thanks.